Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, surprise! We just launched another new podcast. The show is called DDX, and it is a show by doctors for doctors. Nothing is dumbed down. Nothing is slowed down. Much of it goes right over my head, and yet I still find this podcast totally gripping, uh, even, even to someone like me who dropped science in grade 10. The show is like 8 to 12 minutes long per episode, and it drops you right into the action, into these cases where a patient shows up at an ER and real doctors try to figure out what is wrong with them. And it really gives you an inside look into this process of diagnosis, which I am learning is both a science and an art. It is where technology and intuition and observation and collaboration and problem solving all come together and and have to root around these obstacles of biases that doctors have to check as they puzzle through their most difficult diagnostical cases. The debut episode of DDX deals with the fact that if you are a young, healthy woman, you have a higher chance of being misdiagnosed. It is riveting. It is beautifully produced. Check it out. The title again is DDX. And the second thing I want to tell you about DDX is that it is branded content, sponsored content. We are making it with a partner, a company called Figure One. They are a Canadian medical app that has been described as like Instagram for doctors. 
And though Figure One has given us free reign to tell these medical stories in a way that sound nothing like long commercials, what we are making with them is absolutely a commercial product. We do not want there to be any confusion about that, about where the editorial product ends and where the advertising begins. We're not trying to blur that line. So when we decided to start making branded podcasts like DDX, we decided not to follow the industry trends of creating like a subsidiary like Canada Land Creative or, you know, CL Studios, CL Originals. No, we have a completely separate imprint that we are launching for branded. And that imprint is called Earshot Podcasts. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because some of you fund us through Patreon, and it's important that you know that. It's important that you know that the money that you give to us to do journalism will never be used to make branded podcasts or advertorials. It is actually the exact other way around. We are making sponsored content. We're doing shows like DDX because the profits from those shows help pay for the journalism that you support. We use those profits to commission more stories, to get more reporters covering more things, to hire more producers for our podcasts, to increase what we pay everybody who works here already. And I admit we have not done a great job in the past of letting you know about that, about letting you know about which projects are paid for through the Patreon funds and which are paid for through our commercial revenues. The basic rule of thumb is if we crowdfunded for something, it's paid for via Patreon. And if we didn't, we would never use your money to make it. But you know what? There needs to be some kind of permanent document. So this year's transparency report, we put one of these out every year. We just released the 2017 transparency report. It has all of that info for the first time and a lot of other info. It is the most extensive transparency report that we have put out there because we owe you accountability on how we spend your money. So those are two things for you to check out. You can check out our transparency report on the canadalandshow.com website, and you can check out DDX at figure one, that's the number one, figure1.com slash DDX, or you could just subscribe to DDX through Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I will quickly thank our sponsors. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes. They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantity needed. There is no food waste. It is delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. You'll get 50% off of your first box if you go to hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. This episode is also brought to you by a new sponsor, Sonos. They sent me a Sonos One speaker. I had previously had one of these talking speaker thingies, and I liked a lot of the functionality. It's a nice way to listen to music and podcasts. Uh, But the sound quality of my old speaker was garbage. The sound quality of my Sonos One speaker is excellent, and I remember that it's nice to listen to podcasts and music on beautiful speakers. It is also a speaker you can talk to, and it is pretty nifty. Because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off of one order from Sonos, and that order can be up to $2,500. You can order a lot of speakers for that. 10% off at Sonos.com using the promo code CANADA10, CANADA10, CANADA10 to get 10% off of your Sonos purchase. That offer is a limited time offer. It cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. That is a good deal on a Sonos speaker. Go to Sonos.com, promo code CANADA10. Sarah Haji. Yeah. Freelance journalist. Yes. Well, happy Thursday. Today we're going to talk about Q. 
this one's for you. <laughs> goo goo gajoob. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I should put a trigger warning before that. We are going to talk about Q today. We're going to talk about Facebook playing favorites in the yes. Canadian news business. And we are going to talk about the unseen, uncaring gods of Twitter banishing some hostile Canadians, but not all hostile Canadians, from their online playground. Hashtag not all hostile Canadians. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Robin Wass, Jackie Strandberg, Sultana Bennett, Catherine Bullman, Jeremy Singh, Emma McKay, Rajdeep Kandola, and Orvis Starkweather. Hi, I'm Orvis Starkweather. I do collections research with the Walter Phillips Gallery in Banff, Alberta. And I support Canada Land because it's another great way of sometimes passing along information and news that I might not have the words to communicate with um, my parents and uh, other folks that might not be consuming the same media that I am. Sarah, I want to take you back just a short time ago when Shadrach Kabango was the host of Q. Yes, I remember that very short time. And just nine months in to his tenure as the host of CBC's Q, he got a review of sorts, a feature by Simon Haupt in the Globe and Mail. The Globe and Mail does not typically review or criticize radio uh, or CBC. You don't really read, um, is this show good, is this bad? But, I mean, it was high profile. Who's going to replace Gomeshi? And uh, uh, so there was an exception made. And the headline read, Q, as in like question, but also you, you get it. Uh, Q, why is Shad so bad? Uh, that is such a bad headline. It was a rhyming headline. And it was not a very kind feature. I'm not saying it was unfair. I mean, there were a lot of cringy moments in terms of just the actual analysis of Shad, but it didn't hold back. Simon said, we need to talk about Shad. That was his opening line. We need to talk about Shad. He called Shad flat and stilted. He cited the failing ratings. He cited how how, how poor an interviewer he was. And it was only seven months after that, that CBC fired Shad. So the reason I bring this up now is that it has been 18 months, I believe, since Tom Power took over that show. Yeah, that sounds about right. Nine months in, Simon Haupt felt that we need to talk about Chad. 18 months into Tom Power on Q, which is longer than Chad's entire reign on Q, I can't find a review of Tom Power. Nobody has written about how Tom Power is doing. No. There was a lot of press when he started, a lot of very kind press, a lot of kind press from, from Simon Haupt. Simon Haupt wrote... Power is in his element here at Q. He's a quick-witted charmer who has an easy rapport with guests. He looks like a cross between an earnest undergrad debater and a boy genius record producer. Jesus. Like, he got the review before he really had yeah. started. And the, he's really cute. <laughs> I guess. Like, I don't understand. The Toronto Star wrote up a feature uh, that talked about, you know, the things that Tom Power likes. Bluegrass music, fish cakes, and, and bad jokes. And... I want to actually do what isn't being done. I, I, I'm not here to necessarily review Tom Power and, and what Q is under him, though. I mean, I, we can't avoid talking about that a little bit. But I guess I'm more interested in chatting with you about why do you feel 
that kind of scrutiny was applied to Shad, but not to Tom Power? I think there are a lot of factors. I mean, Q is like so iconic with Jiang Obashi. This is how I gauge how iconic something is, is when uh, my American friends know what it is. Right. <laughs> and, oh, no. Yeah. And, All right. Fair enough. And they were like, yeah, Q, that Giangomeshi stuff. And you're like, oh, wow, they know what that is. But uh, that all aside, I do think it had a lot to do with, uh, you know, the CBC should be having, uh, you know, some amazing host after all that. Like, they they need to take it up a notch and make the host better than Gomeshi ever was. And clearly, like, Shad was kind of thrust into this. He, he this, was. Like, I mean, you're pushed into the show after this crazy scandal. Like, there's no way you're going to satisfy people after that. That is a hard job for any broadcaster. Yeah. Shad was not a broadcaster. And he might have been able to become a great broadcaster with time. But for his first radio show ever to be this daily national flagship art yes, show. And after a crazy scandal, like something that was truly insane. Yeah. And then it's like, hey, guys, I'm Shad. Welcome to Q. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like it's like asking Tom Power to be a nationally known rapper. You know, maybe yeah. one day he could be one, but you wouldn't want to necessarily start him off with like a world tour. You yeah. Know? And I mean, in a way, it, it's almost like did they put Shad in there and it was kind of like, OK, well, we'll we'll figure it out what happens after him or something like I, I'm just wondering, like when they put him in that position, were they thinking like this is something that will have longevity and he'll be here for as long as Jiang Gomeshi was here? Or was it kind of like, OK, we need someone. Um, I mean, like, let's have a black guy and put him in. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just kind of I'm like wondering. Yeah. Like because he's so talented. I think he's really charming and cool. But I feel like it's just so unfair that he had so much on his shoulders and then everyone's like, okay, now let's talk about this Shad problem. Yeah. we, got, we, we <laughs> Guys, we really need to talk about Shad. Hadia Rodriguez introduced me to this concept of the glass cliff as opposed to the glass ceiling. Oh, God. That's so scary. Have you heard this? <laughs> no, I haven't heard this. That like, it, it's not so, so much a question of like that there's a limit to how far, uh, say, a black person can rise in a mm-hmm. certain position. It's a different circumstance where... You need to demonstrate that you've made a big change, that you're making a splash, and, yeah. that, and, and you want to demonstrate that you are open to all kinds of different people. Mm-hmm. And so you give a black person an opportunity, but really they're, you, you've set them like on a marathon straight off a cliff. You yes. Know? And, you know, I personally don't think the people who listen to Q daily know who Shad is or how, you know, well-respected musician he is here in Canada. And I also don't think they like they're not familiar with black people. I honestly think that for the average Q listener, they're not like, oh, yeah, like I'm going to listen to this black dude host the show that I was so used to. And like, obviously, Giangomeshi wasn't black. I mean, he but he wasn't white. But at the same time, I think it was like kind of safe for the listeners. But I think there was like this kind of like, oh, he's a rapper. Yeah. And he's hosting my show. Like the CBC doesn't even play rap. Some people are going to say, like, this is ridiculous. You're finding racism where there is none. Shad was just not a good host. And there is an argument to be made that he was out of his element. Yeah, of course. Uh, But I I remember the criticism that that was online. And a lot of it was like, why is this guy saying yo on the CBC? Why is this guy playing hip hop on the CBC? Uh, There was definitely a CBC diehard listener response to Shad bringing any aspect of his vernacular or hip hop culture onto the air. And, you know, Jean uh, is a racialized person, but he molded himself into what CBC and what the CBC listeners. I wanted him to be in a way that I think Shad was unwilling to. I mean, to talk a little bit, like, you know, we're going to get pushback as well from people at Q who I think do a, a, you know, a a very hard job every day. And and I think often a good job. They do play hip hop. But like, 
Well, okay. Well, let's 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 actually focus on for a second. Let's because let's, <laughs> I I really like I don't pay much attention to Q. So no. in preparing for this, uh, I have been refamiliarizing myself with what that show sounds like. Here is a little montage we put together reflecting some, but not all, of the types of guests <laughs> that you'll hear on Q these days. Andrew Lloyd Webber, welcome to Q. Randy Bachman, welcome to Q. Alan Hocko is in studio with me right now. Jim Cuddy, who you might know best as the frontman for Blue Rodeo, came to the Q studio to give you a sneak preview of his brand new solo record. Right now, Hanson, all three of the brothers, Taylor, Isaac, and Zach, join me here on Q. That's that's not even fair. They play hip hop. They play hip hop like it's so for like me. It's like the the <laughs> you know that term like Poindexter the hip hop nerd. Like yeah, like yeah, yeah. they did a history of Eric B and Rakim paid in full. You know they did a an oral history of Northern Touch. Like it's very much like the white hip hop aficionados culture yeah. guide to hip hop. Not and like. It's really interesting to me how white Q is from Andrew Lloyd Webber to like CBC like saying like let's give Ronnie Bachman a forum to talk about his thoughts on yeah, classic you know rock. What, you know what everyone's listening to? Hanson. <laughs> Hanson. Uh, you know, the bare naked ladies, Jim Cuddy. And you're talking about things that actually are distinct cultures. There is a thing that is like middle-aged white guy Canadian culture and it involves Blue Rodeo and it involves bare naked ladies and, and you know, maybe yeah. it involves Andrew Lloyd Webber. I don't know. And then you've got Canadian hip hop culture, which right now is obviously like, mm-hmm. you know, Drake oversees all, and but then there's all kinds of yeah. things happening, and I don't think it's unfair to Q to say that like Q is very firmly situated in, you know, white male. Yeah, I mean they they have their audience, and clearly they're gonna give the audience what they want. I, I mean, like I, I'm not faulting Tom Power for any of this, but it's kind of like well. This is what people are listening to. This is what they want. And we want to keep our listeners. I mean, I I get it. I totally do get it. But it's just like, it's insane to me that it's like, now he's in the position of hosting Q. And it's like, well, we already went through the whole Shad thing. And you know what? This is great. Q's back to the way it was. So let's not really think too hard about him or what kind of job he's doing or anything like that. And I don't think he's doing a bad job at all. He's He's fine. He's a totally competent broadcast. Seems like a nice guy. Yeah, of course. But I do think it's kind of like, if he was the host right after Gomeshi, would he have been criticized the same way? I honestly, I don't. I don't think you could say yes or no. But I, it, it's hard I, to say because yeah. it was such a unique circumstance. But I have the same. I have the same inclination as you. I feel like the rules are different for Tom Power, and I, I guess more than anything, I want to reiterate. Like I think Shad got a really raw deal, and and you know even like from the CBC, the background of that story is mm-hmm. like he had to find out not from CBC but through other sources, oh and and then. In justifying firing him, they released like ratings data that showed that he was tanking. I don't know that they've released much on Tom Power. Is Tom Power saving the ratings? CBC hasn't really said. A CBC executive producer, um, the person who took over Q after Shad left, actually said, we're starting with a clean slate. Oh. Like Shad dirtied it? Or what are you saying? It's you know? like, I don't know. It's just so unprofessional. And I'm sure so many people are here listening and they're thinking like, you know, he was lucky to have that opportunity. You know, yeah. like it's like kind of like, you know, he should be grateful that he got this job, but it just didn't work out for him. And now we're letting him go because, you know, the ratings weren't that great. Um, yeah. It is really hard to explain and hard to understand if you aren't a person of color or you're not black. But I do feel like race definitely played a factor. I mean, this black underground rapper who has like a very, you know, he has a, a, a big fan base that's not super vocal. Like, I mean, 
when I was in high school, people were really into Shad and like, yeah. it, it, he wasn't playing on the radio. It's like people found him. And there are tons yeah. of black broadcasters who could have gotten that job, who'd paid their dues in broadcasting and, and, and were at a point in their career. Mm-hmm. Or they could have groomed Shad the way that, you know, Gameshi had like two or three different shows and he had guest hosting appearances. Uh, you know, like they, they built him up and got him familiar before they put him on that big stage. You yeah. know, Shad had none of those. Uh, you know, th- there's a part of this, though, that is that I think is not racialized and is 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 just kind of a mistake CBC made. And I think that the people who made it, like the the people who were running CBC right after Gameshi was ousted, like, you know, Cindy Witten and, and Chris Boyce was still these executives mm-hmm. who were trying to clean up the mess, um, who decided we're going to keep Q. Yes. That is the thing that they might not ever be able to get over, you know, because I think they're just happy now that Q is just like fine. Yeah, you know? like it's, it's moved on. You know, people, obviously everyone remembers, but now it's its own show. You're not necessarily associating it with Gomeshi's legacy. Like, I, I guess, but it's not something else, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it's like they, they, it's not like they created a monster because we know from their accusations that go before, he was a monster before he came to the CBC. Mm-hmm. But they, they, they built a castle for a monster. They built a dungeon for a monster. <laughs> it was much more of a dungeon. And and then they, they the monster got, got thrown out of the dungeon and they're like, it's not a dungeon. We can put a nice person in here. It's not a dungeon. And I'm, it's still stinky. Like it still looks yeah. like, it, I don't know, like why are you holding onto that brand? The last thing I want to say about it is that, you know, whether Q is good or bad, or whether this one broadcaster, Shad, got a, got a raw deal or not. These are, I guess, insider issues. The bigger issue is that this is the CBC's flagship arts show. Yeah. And I look at it, and it has a problem that Q has always had, which is that it'll always favor a feature interview with somebody like Andrew Lloyd Webber <laughs> over really championing Canadian art and giving it the same kind of precedence. It is used relentlessly and shamelessly to promote CBC's own properties. Yeah. You know, and the incredible ferment of Canadian pop culture and art that is happening does not feel reflected. And I mean, the stuff that is reflected is kind of, again, just stuff that feels safe. You won't hear them, you know, promote some artists from Scarborough who, you know, a lot of people don't know about or something. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, these are these are people our viewers view as safe. I think you have to have a publisher. You have to have a label. Like, yeah. they're not like, it's not like unsigned hype. You know? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not really introducing anyone to anyone new. So that's unfortunate. Sarah, mm-hmm. on shortcuts we duly note things. Oh, do we? Duly. I, I've never, I've never been on the show, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Do you have anything? <laughs> this might be not the best thing for your viewers, but it was published in Mel magazine. In what magazine? Uh, Mel. It's like this uh, medium publication owned by Dollar Shave Club. Funny enough. Anyway, you know, there's been like so many articles about like skincare recently, and this woman, a beauty writer, Amanda Mull, asked men how they wash their face. And it honestly horrified me. And it, it like it, it's. <laughs> I've, I've been thinking about it for like the last like I don't know when it even came out. I think it's been like almost two weeks. And I'm, I'm just like, this isn't real. Like, men just go into the shower and wash your face with soap. Yeah, and totally. I, and I'm like, what? Like, I have a six step skincare routine uh-huh. every single night that I do. I know men aren't doing that, but it's just like, it just hit me that being a woman sucks so bad. I understand this argument. There's so much more labor involved. But have you seen men's skin? Have you seen my skin? Your skin's great. It's not. It looks totally fine. And I don't understand. And I just, it doesn't make any sense to me because if I didn't care, I would look like a monster. Look, you could make this about society's unreasonable <laughs> expectations for women. Or you could just make it about that men are garbage creatures who don't treat themselves like, with any self-respect. I just, and like one guy is like, sometimes I wash my face with dish soap. And I'm like, what? <laughs> 
Oh, all I needed to know was that there was some guy grosser than me, and now I feel okay with my routine. And then I, oh, it, no, it scares the shit out of me, but that's like one of the, that's like the one thing I can't stop thinking about, and I'm asking every man, like, how do you wash your face? And I'm, every answer I get shakes me to my core. I'm just like, this is disgusting. You're a disgusting person. Duly noted. <laughs> I, I can't follow that. I guess I have to. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to say some nice things about a couple of stories that I think are being well covered. And these are stories that I just feel like journalists are proving why we need journalists. One, of course, is the ongoing coverage of the Bruce MacArthur case. And both the Globe and the Star just sort of simultaneously, I think Star might have beat the Globe uh, and, and slapped an exclusive on it, revealed that, in fact, Bruce MacArthur had been interviewed by the cops in connection with some disappearances earlier. And we also read, I believe this was a star story, that, I don't know, it goes on and on, basically pushing back against the police narrative. Mm-hmm. Oh, if only, said the, the police chief, if only the community had, be, had given us anything. Well, not only did you have tips from the community, you had experts who were telling you that this fits a pattern. Just disassembling this false narrative is what journalists are doing. Journalists, uh, and, you know, full disclosure, I'm now working with Justin Ling, um, but he, he was one of the journalists who, before we knew that Bruce MacArthur mm-hmm. was the serial killer, well, alleged serial killer, he was one journalist beating a drum and demanding that oh, yeah. this dropped story get picked up. So... Uh, we know more about this, and we are holding police accountable because of journalism. And more props to the Toronto Star uh, because they also have revealed dogged reporting over the course of two years. The Again, Toronto Police denied two years ago that they ever used a Stingray machine or even had one. A stingray machine is a really, really oh my God. alarming thing, which basically fools phones into thinking that it is a cell phone tower and tricks every single phone in a certain radius into dumping a bunch of information into it. In the Star article, I think they mentioned that they've been doing it since 2010. And then in 2015, they're like, no, we don't use these stingray machines. They denied it completely. And um, this tech stuff loses people, but like it basically is a mass surveillance tool that tells you where everybody fucking is. And we don't know if they keep that data or not. They lied about it. They denied it. John Tory knew about it a year mm-hmm. ago. And because the star filed FOIs and uh, are keeping on this, we know that the cops were lying and that our rights are being abused, our privacy is being trespassed, and uh, now maybe we can do something about it. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, like, there's so many probably marginalized communities that cops can use this against or maybe have, and we just don't know about it. Oh, yeah, because the tech is is beyond the the law and the warrants. Like, it's, I don't even think that the the law, like, recognizes what this thing is. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really scary to think about. Um, Duly noted. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month 
at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Let's thank our sponsors. Hover. Now, we've talked about this before because according to your Twitter profile, Sarah, you uh, are too lazy to have a website. No, I still don't have a website. I'm sorry. There's no excuse for freelance writer not to have a website. <laughs> I don't know how to do those things. Well, uh, luckily for you, there are there's a service like Hover that makes it super simple. And you know what? Even if you're even if you don't have like the very minimal amount of time that it takes to build a website, you need like 30 seconds to just get your domain. And and that will I think demystify this whole process and lay lay claim it's your name, Sarah. <laughs> Go to Hover.com and uh, figure out what is still available for Sarah Haji. Uh, if it, is it a .com? Is it a .pizza? Is it a .ninja? They have over 400 choices for you to look at. It is super simple. It is super easy. It is affordable. They don't upsell you. And if you go to Hover.com slash CanadaLand, you can check out the .me extension, which might be perfect for you. And if you've never used it before, you'll get 10% off of any domain extensions offered, and there are lots. Go to hover.com slash CanadaLand, check out their deals. It is time, Sarah, this is just an ad for you, to get your portfolio website up <laughs> okay, and running. what if I make it sarahsworld.info? Is that cool? sarahsworld.info. I'm not even going to check. It's taken. <laughs> I'll, I'll just tell you from my own knowledge of the internet, that's totally Damn taken. Damn it, Jesse. Ugh. Our second sponsor is HelloFresh. I, I use HelloFresh from time to time, and we used it uh, just this week, and it was a huge hit with uh, with our kids. My son said, "Best meat ever." Best meat, best ever. meat ever to this uh, this 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 Parmesan pork patty thing that was. But it's like you just have these like complete meals that had like a sauce. Like we just so rarely actually make like a a simple pan sauce with onions and then have like nicely cut vegetables on the like <laughs> these kind of like complete meals that when you're in a hurry, uh, you don't always necessarily do for yourself. We've been doing that this week, and it really does save a lot of time and mixes things up and gets you cooking again and saves you the chore of shopping and meal planning. HelloFresh is fresh. It is locally sourced. It is healthy. And the recipes do take 30 minutes or less. And they're really tasty. For 50% off of your first HelloFresh box, go to hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand. Enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. This is good if you are cooking for two. It's good if you're cooking for kids. They've got different options. Check it out. HelloFresh.ca slash CanadaLand. All right. This is maybe like a little thing that is of more interest to media nerds than to everybody, but I kind of feel like it's significant. Sarah, mm -hmm. Facebook is really changing their tune around being a passive platform. Yes. This, hey, we're just a blank canvas. People can throw up their own personal posts. News organizations can throw up their stories. Bloggers can throw up stuff. And the network will decide what is popular. Now that 
fake news has happened. Now that the Russian interference, now that Trump is president, now that governments are cracking down on them, not Canada's, they really do get a sense that they are going to have to take more responsibility for the information that people read on Facebook, which sounds like a good thing, right? Yeah. Almost sounds like a good thing. <laughs> Here's what they're doing. They announced that they are fighting fake news by cherry picking four Canadian news organizations and giving them kind of like Facebook superpowers. And the four news organizations they chose, it's kind of a weird mix. CBC, okay, sure. Journal de Montréal, which is like pretty tabloidy. Global News and City News. And what they yeah. can do, what those four news organizations can do that nobody else can, Globe and Mail can't do this, Canada Land can't, nobody else can do this, is they can slap a breaking news label, an indicator that says breaking news, mm-hmm. and they can do it once a day, which is so weird. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. I, okay. Yes. Go on. So weird. But- you know, I think that, that, that news organizations, well, well, what if two big things happen? Well, then you've got an extra five. It's like a video game. You've got one a day plus you've got an extra five. And whether or not there is breaking news and whether or not they broke it, mm-hmm. they have a real incentive to use that indicator because by Facebook's own stats, if you slap breaking news on an article on Facebook with this like, you know, official yeah. breaking news siren that they're going to have, you see a pretty significant uptick in your traffic, your sharing, comments, likes, everything that news organizations rely on. So like they basically like better break some news or at least say that they're breaking news. Or you're like wasting your breaking news thing for the day. That's it. You know, (laughs) Mario has fireballs. You got to fire fireballs. So this is like fucked up. Like if a rival news organization is the one that broke the story, you can take credit for it. Again, I don't know if the newsreader cares about who broke the news, but it certainly does affect the business. They should care for sure. I think so. Especially now that we're making more decisions about who to fund. You know, Mm -hmm. you want to fund people who are actually breaking the news, not just, you know, picking up stories. I don't know. Am I overreacting to this? No, you're not. And um, I remember reading about it yesterday. And then the more I was thinking about it, the more I was like, this is so messed up. I mean, I feel like a lot of media organizations have enough issues as it is. I mean, just even being recognized on Google, you know what I mean? Like Googling something and having the first uh, outlet that picked something up come up as a first search result. And like, I don't think a lot of people who don't work in media realize that like it makes it harder for media organizations to continue doing things if they're not getting those you know those hits and they're not getting that money and it's it just like there's a whole cycle involved and it's just insane that like who at Facebook is the one who is like do they have like one of those bingo things and they were like toying around they're like yes global news city news it's just like like they're Sounds like, like it's news. Just, it's just like so weird. It's so weird that those are the organizations they picked. It's really bizarre. I mean, I guess it's not weird when you think about the fact that these decisions are being made by Americans. You know, yes, like, these, like somebody has just sort of like got a job of probably like, you know, rolling this program out in 10 different countries. So yeah. Like, well, what's a news organization? I don't know if they're relying on news orgs that they have previous relationships with or if they're just saying global. That sounds pretty good. Yes, exactly. And obviously there's no shade to global news. Clearly they have stories and everything, but it's just so weird that it's like, OK, these are the ones that we're choosing now. Yeah. And it, it makes no sense to me. I mean, maybe I'm a bit biased because I, I did work at Vice and I do really like my colleagues, my former colleagues there. But, I mean, they were breaking a lot of stories at Vice News. And, I mean, a lot of times 
I don't think they were getting the credit they deserved for breaking certain stories. It's um, not just for the nachas either. It's not just for like the the pat on the back or it's, or, it's, or even the, even even like you know display ad click throughs. It's like the credibility of a news organization. Like you put months into breaking a story, and then in a matter of hours, somebody else picks up that story. And yeah. breaking that story could result in financial funding. It could result in subscriptions. It could result in you having credibility to get the next story. Exactly. It, it, could result it in affects who, yeah, so much. Who you break a story, then you have follow up stories when people bring you more information. Yeah. So who do they bring that information to? They bring it to the news organization that they think broke the story. It yeah. really does matter. And also, I mean, I feel like everyone asks this question, but what is breaking news anymore? Like, truly, what what is breaking news? I feel like there's so many times where I'm scrolling through Twitter and I'm like, is that breaking? I'm very interested to see which one story they'll be like. We'll be like 10 p.m. Like, we didn't use our breaking news yet. Um, I think the celebrity had a baby, so I'm going to make it a breaking thing. Yeah. On a day when 18 huge world shaking things happen. Uh, there's too many big things happening now. And then other days yeah. there aren't any. And, and then the celebrity baby is the breaking news for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, this is really problematic to use a word that I kind of hate. Facebook, for better or for worse, and I get it. They're a private company. They can do what they want. Mm-hmm. But they are aware, like the vast majority of people get their news from. They, yes. They, and they, I guess like they are being forced to make a decision. You have this responsibility if you want to keep it and not have government regulations, not have public, you know, coming at you with pitchforks. Take some responsibility and curate what you got. Yeah. And they've got a bunch of different things they could do. They can make it like Reddit and have people upvote or downvote stories. They could have like, and I know they would love to have this because they don't like, it's a very messy human job deciding which which it organization is. is credible and which one isn't. They'd rather automate it or have artificial intelligence or have their community figure it out. Yeah. And now here they are actually making editorial decisions uh, about who gets like the front of the news rack. Mm-hmm. And they've made bad ones. They have. Know? And I also wonder like, who are the people in charge of this? Like, are they employing actual journalists or media people to make these choices? I just wish maybe I knew what process they had for deciding these things. Yeah. Transparency um, is a big part of it, I think. What's the recourse? If I want my news organization to be considered, what do I do? Like, it's it's completely like... Yeah, again, if I wasn't in media, I probably wouldn't question it this much. I'd probably be like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. But the more I think about it, the crazier it seems that they have this power Last thing I want to talk with you about today is not unrelated. Okay. Twitter is also under pressure to clean up their act or our act, uh, the act of obstreperous, uh, annoying people with opinions and uh, who sometimes cross over into abusive, hostile behavior. And, you know, I think that this sort of started with Milo when they banned Milo Yiannopoulos. And since then, they've had tougher rules for who gets locked into Twitter jail for 12 hours if you violate and then who gets banned forever. They take no responsibility for monitoring everybody. It's a complaint-based system where when, when you report someone, that's when they make get thrown off of Twitter. The reason why this is coming up now is that a uh, fairly well-known and vocal Canadian Twitter user, Robert Day, who tweets or tweeted as Canadian cynic. You might remember Canadian cynic because they are being sued by Ezra Levant for things said on Twitter. They are no longer on Twitter. Robert Day has been kicked off Twitter, and our own Graham Gordon, freelance reporter, wrote about this along with a bunch of other people. And apparently the inciting word that got them thrown off, thrown off with reference to a Canadian senator, Denise Batters, the word is twat waffle. Twat waffle. Twat waffle. Robert Day first said, Dear Twitter Canada, is describing Senator Denise Batters as a bloviating, batshit fucking crazy lunatic grounds to get into Twitter jail, asking for about 20 million Canadians who think that she is a bloviating, batshit fucking crazy lunatic. Hugs and kisses, Canadian cynic. In a follow-up tweet, 
Canadian cynic went on to describe Denise Batters as a reprehensible twat waffle and colostomy bag. <laughs> After some sleuthing, Canadian cynic came to the conclusion that the reason why he was thrown off of Twitter and others who used the same word were because he believes Denise Batters herself reported him under the uh, hostile, abusive mm-hmm. language on the basis of gender, I suppose, which is one of the, the actual languages of what you can get kicked off for. Yeah. And a bunch of people who said twat waffle also lost their Twitter accounts. Who Did the fuck it, cares yeah. is a common, or yay, is a common response to this. Michelle Rempel, who has dealt with Twitter abuse and threats in the past, said Denise Batters is my hero today. That is all, uh, which seems to suggest that she knows that Denise Batters was the one who who lodged the complaint. Right-leaning journalist David Aiken said, well done, at Jack, of course, referring to the founder of Twitter. Yeah, because I'm sure Jack was like, I'm going to suspend him now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Lots more to do, but the Canadian politics hashtag in Twitter is a lot better after your actions described here. But not just people on the right. Sashi Cool said, no one fucking cares. Oh, I love her. Your Canadian media (laughs) joke, Brian the Dog account. uh, Canadian cynic uses Brian the Dog from Family Guy that calls everyone a cunt. Got suspended. My God, return to the sewer. What do I care? Sarah, I care. Oh, do you? I do. I don't. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a follower of Canadian Cynic. Yeah, yeah. I care if somebody is thrown off of Twitter for launching into a very stupid and juvenile verbal attack against a Canadian senator. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't necessarily have to like or agree with a criticism, but. What Canadian cynic said to Senator Denise Batters very clearly to me falls under stuff citizens are allowed to say about senators. Yeah, it is weird when Twitter chooses to be like, no, this is wrong. Yeah. Which is why I think it's such a flawed platform in so many ways. I've seen it happen where one person says something and I guess if enough people report that person and they make a big enough fuss about it, Twitter will listen. You see it happen with people on the left all the time. You know, like someone I know who has a bigger following, someone says something abusive towards them. They screenshot it. They say, hey, can you guys report so-and-so for these comments or that that was racist or sexist or abusive? And then that person does get suspended because enough people are like, hey, let's target that person. Enough people and the right people, right? If you have a lot of followers, Twitter might listen to you with a bit more attention. If you're a Canadian senator, Twitter might listen to you, Mm -hmm. you know, like elected officials and, you know, unelected officials like Canadian senators, but public figures like that and and legislators who need to be accountable to the public whining to Twitter that like somebody called them a nasty name. Now, some people have pointed out that Canadian Senate did call a bunch of other women a cunt. Um, and Canadian Cynic's response to Canada Land was, I call guys that word. I call oh, everybody okay, that word. Buddy. It does. It's not gendered. Uh, oh, when oh. do you cross the line? I mean, the, the Twitter rules are really hazy. Like, yeah, they are. Because sure. it, it doesn't just cover threats. Threats are a no brainer to me. If you're going to threaten somebody, get the fuck off. You know? mm-hmm, yeah. But harassment is kind of in the eye of the beholder. You know, I'm, I'm sure that politicians feel harassed by journalists and critics. Yeah. And all of this does get super politicized. People are like, well, are you treating the left as Twitter? Are you taking sides? And I don't even know if it's taking sides at this point. It's kind of like, it is a popularity thing in a lot of ways. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, he's a, to be completely honest, I never really ever read his tweets. <laughs> I just saw the Brian the Dog thing and I was like, I'm out. But he stirs the pot in ways I don't agree with a lot of the times. And he has enemies and enough people are like, hey, he did do this and it violates the terms. We can all go against him and 
report him and then it will be over. And that's just how it works. Like that's how it works on any side. If en- I feel like I feel like if enough people do say something, Twitter's kind of like, hey, we need we need to get them to shut up somehow. Well, that, that yeah. seems to be the actual rules. The rules mm-hmm. aren't the rules. The rules are what can we withstand? And mm-hmm. if we're having too bad a PR day, we'll get rid of somebody. And like, look, Sashi Cole says she doesn't care. I think she needs to care because Sashi Cole brings up whiteness mm-hmm. on Twitter in a way that I think is completely legitimate criticism. And I think that just discussing finally what whiteness means and the existence of it is you know long overdue and something that is absolutely fair game for criticism and conversation. There are a lot of people on Twitter who point to it as racism, reverse racism. Oh, yeah. it, is, it would be very easy to report Saatchi for things that she said and demand the exact, she could be removed and it's, it's a place yeah, where but the she thing has is, a voice and you know. Yeah, I agree and I don't, I like, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of like weirdly on the fence because like Saatchi has endured a lot on Twitter. Like she's gone through a lot of shit crazy threats and everything and I mean she is someone who's highly followed but at the same time there weren't really many consequences for things that have happened to her so it's kind of just like you know what after like and when I also get abuse maybe not on the same level that she does I'm just kind of like honestly I don't really give a shit about like I don't have the capacity to give a shit about someone else like I don't want to care about this Brian the dog guy I mean yes the greater implications are things I do care about but at the same time it's like is it a battle I want to fight for this dude Probably not. If I disagreed with him, he'd probably call me a cunt too. Sure, you know? <laughs> but you get the but you get the argument. It, yeah, like, yeah. You, you get that you don't want to fight for him because I don't necessarily like him. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it happened to you, or if it you know what what, what, what makes you think? I mean, by your own analysis of it, they don't give a damn about somebody's politics or who you are. They just care about what they're taking shit for. Yeah, you know. I think a lot of the like I don't care sentiment probably comes from the fact that it is such a broken platform. Like it is so deeply broken that it's kind of like man, I care about this and then I got to like focus on all these bigger, wider things. And it's like, yes, I do care in the sense that it's like, it's just another way to show how awful Twitter can be. But also it's like, I'm not going to be like free dude. You know what I mean? Like hashtag, like get him out of Twitter jail. You know what I mean? I'm fighting for this guy as a free speech crusader. You know what I mean? No, I know. And it also (laughs) feels silly because you're not actually fighting against the law. It's a private company and they, they can do what they want with their platform. Except it's so interesting for me to look at this as somebody who, you know, Brings a little bit of internet history with me. and uh, Oh, really? I do. I do. And I don't know. Like, the, the early days would be like, well, look, this is the beauty of the internet is that is that you can just go to your own blog, Canadian mm-hmm. Cynic. But like now that it's coalescing and, 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 and you've got like Facebook is where we do news. Twitter yeah. is where we have conversations. And it's all just becoming this mall where there's like one brand and everything's getting monopolized. The extent to which these private companies serve public functions. Yeah. And to what extent we hold them responsible as public entities or or, or but you know, players yeah. in the public trust, I suppose. It, it's Yeah, that's 100% true. I mean, even like going back to the Facebook thing, like, yes, they're a private company, but you cannot say they don't influence the world and how people view the world. Like, there are people whose main news source is their Twitter feed and their Facebook feed. They're not looking at anything else. They're taking what's given to them. Yeah. And I guess in that sense, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I guess he shouldn't have been banned, but... Am I going to care? Am I going to think about this later? He has a big enough following for people to be fighting for him. But I think it even is more scary because it's like, what about the people who aren't him? It's Listen, <laughs> we're in a point right now where you, as a freelance writer in this country, <laughs> don't even have your own website. Like, because, Why? Because Facebook and Twitter is where everything happens. Oh, it's true. I mean, If you were locked off of Facebook and Twitter... If like, I was locked off Twitter, if I didn't... There are so many times where I want to 
get off Twitter. And I literally cannot because so much of my career hinges on Twitter and people reading my work and people following me. Like, I mean, you contacted me through Twitter. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's how people find me. Like, that's how 90% of my money is made. Um, It is very complicated. I mean, because I think he's an asshole doesn't mean he deserved it. But maybe he just needs to, like, go to the (laughs) doghouse. That is your Canadland shortcut. <laughs> that was so stupid. I love... Okay. Um, you can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. Sarah Haji, you don't have a website. How can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. Twitter.com slash geekylonglegs. Uh, my email is in my bio. If you want... Actually, don't email me. I won't email you back. We are on Facebook, which I always tell you before I tell you about our website. Uh, if you like our Facebook page, our news stories will show up on your news feed. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Today's episode was produced by Kevin Sexton. Welcome back, Kevin. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Download our new podcast, DDX, by going to figure one, that's the number one, figureone.com slash DDX. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.